Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. introduction said this is the weekly spirit seeker cindy meyer hour brought to you by spirit seeker magazine and for those of you that are new to spirit seeker we um we have been published for 20 years in the midwest as a print magazine starting in st louis then migrating to kansas city and throughout missouri then expanding into chicago and then throughout Illinois, and then now, most recently we've added Indiana. However, we've been online since 1998, uh, you know, almost like a little bit ahead of the, um, the, the publishing industry, and I was just very blessed with angels who saw the potential of the Internet way before Cindy Meyer did. Um, I can remember when I first had my email account, it took me six months to really even realize that I had emails there, but now can anyone on this call even imagine living without the Internet? So the reason I'm mentioning the online magazine is that uh, we have also a weekly email newsletter that lets you know when the magazine is online. Uh, We have a weekly radio show, and uh, some of the shows are one hour, some are two. Tonight and most of this month, they will be two-hour shows. And um, we we have been... uh, on the air since 2006, we started in a traditional studio, and then as time progressed, we switched to the Internet because, just as I mentioned with the magazine, the Internet and um, Blog Talk Radio, which is the platform I am using these, um, I've used it for probably about five years now, is that it's a virtual blog. So the minute the show is finished, people all over, anywhere in the world, literally by blog, you know uh, logging into my webpage on Blog Talk Radio can listen to the show. So, you know, I get emails all hours of the day and night saying, "Oh, I just listened to your interview with so and so and it was so wonderful and thank you so much, etc." And um and it's just fabulous to um to be able to bring the show to you in this format. So, going back to our weekly email newsletter, the reason I would suggest that you um, ask to be added to that is we let you know when the new magazine's online. We let you know who the radio show guests are. We let you know when there's uh, there are fabulous conferences all through the U.S. and to Canada. And occasionally we work in the European um, you know, part of the world as well. And it's a fabulous way to know what is going on in the mind, body, spirit world. Um, the other thing is that when you are part of our email list, we also offer free giveaways. Many of the authors that we work with in publishing houses give us um, CDs. We do music reviews every month. We do meditation CDs, etc. And we bless our people on our email list uh, with different, you know, if, if you, I could have a library here if I actually showed you all the books that have come here in the last 20 years. So we donate those to our listeners and we offer free tickets to events when we're blessed. So if you would like to be added to that sacrosanct email list, please, please send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at spiritseeker.com. Uh, okay, I think that is it for um, the the little advertisements for Spirit Seeker. 
Okay, so tonight, as I said, we have a two-hour show. My first guest I will bring on in just a moment, and her name is Susan Andra Lyon. She is a nationally acclaimed author and illustrator. She has, um, you know, we'll get to hear about the, uh, her, her book that she has published and her different works personally. She also has been a wonderful illustrator for other books um, that are well-known throughout the world, and, um, and she's just a talented creative person so um the the book that has won numerous awards is her book uh uh White butter. I'm sorry. The, she's the illustrator that's won many awards. Is White Butterfly and Her Wings of Many Colors, and then she is the author of How the Trees Got Their Voices. And this is just an absolutely fabulous book. And I'm going to um, let Susan tell us just a little bit about it. Actually, she prefers to go by Sue. So, Sue, are you there? Hello. Oops. Well, I think she has dropped off but maybe not. Let me see if I can uh, try this again. Hello, Sue. Are you there? Oh, I am here. Okay, <laughs> Thank perfect, Thank you so perfect, much perfect. for having me on your show. <laughs> this is great. Oh, my gosh. It is a delight. It is a delight. And, you know, you're, you, you know, I am the kind of mother I grew up with. Uh, I know you're a mother, too. I read that it's somewhere in, in one of the um, descriptions of you. And, and I could just imagine you reading the books to your children, and I thought, gosh, we're kindred spirits because, you know, in this day and age, so many kids, you know, what do they have? They have their iPads. They ha- I mean, even little children I see in strollers with, with uh, the electronic things that I just think, why are these parents not giving them books? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, Sue, I, you, 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 I want to hear your path because I know you were going in one direction and then all of a sudden things changed and, you know, it's it's uh it's so nice to find someone who has found their passion and loves what they do and you can feel that totally in what you create. So so let's hear Sue's story truly like what you know as a kid did you did you love books? You know, let's start start with whatever you want to share. Well, I loved books. I in fact, I remember my 6th grade teacher uh had a list up our 6th grade Matt, I, I grew up in North Dakota. And our sixth grade teacher had a list on the wall of all all the books that we were reading. And I remember being at the top of that list because I love to read. So, And my mom read to me. Um, And I read to my children. I just think there's something really quite magical about being being able to open up a book and kind of disappear into my imagination of what, uh, what the story would be about or how the story enfolds or... Just looking at the pictures, I I didn't um, go to college to be an artist. I went to college in another completely different major, and and yet I changed my major and became a graphic designer and an illustrator. And I think a lot of that came from having a love affair with books and picture books and illustration. And I still remember some of the books that I had as a kid. I remember the illustrations, which is pretty amazing. And I think there is a really wonderful power about not only reading books, but reading books to children as well. So I did that oh, a lot I, with my kids. You know, I, I can't agree more. And, you know, I'm at this point in my life where, um, you know, I've gone from seven bookshelves 
down to four bookshelves, and yet I still have all these books in boxes, especially the children's <laughs> books, because, you know, it, it is so interesting. One child will like one book and another one will like another, but, you know, no matter what, they have those memories of, you know, the pages turning and that anticipation and, you know, your book, How the Trees Got Their Voices, I mean, you could read that book literally every day to a child oh, and get something you. new out of it. <laughs> Oh, how great. Uh, and my hope was, I mean, my whole intention of, of doing these children's books is that there is such a wide world out there for children to discover, and I don't think they can discover it the same way when they're just fiddling around with a phone or on a tablet. I think the, the process of being able to sit in the middle of the living room, hunched up next to a, a warm, cozy pillow, opening the pages, lingering over each page, having a bigger format than something like a tablet where you can see the details and look for, you know, hidden um, elements in there. I just think there's something really quite wonderful about that. And my experience with kids has been they slow down. When they have a picture book in front of them, it's like the world goes away and they are just immersed in their um, in their time or lack of time, they don't even think of it as time, of just being one with that story and appreciating it in the moment. I think it's a pretty I, cool I, thing. I can't <laughs> agree more, you know. It's it's so interesting. I, I grew up with a family of six children. Okay, I mean, I have, I have five brothers. But it was my older brother and me. I'm, I'm not sure why. I don't know if it's because, you know, my mother went to a second marriage and, you know, immediately – they they had children. I, I'm not sure what the, the the factor was, but my older brother and I had library cards when we were very little. And, you know, back then you could drop kids off literally at the library. There were movies and, you know, parents could drop kids off and come back a couple hours later and pick them up. And, I mean, it, they were different times, obviously. <laughs> but But my younger brothers, you know, I know there were different DNA code, but they never read books. And my oh. older brother and I, from the time we were little, just loved our books. And I know that a lot of it had to do, you know, with going to the library and just being surrounded by all that knowledge. We had, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, but my mom was intent that we have books at home. And so we had, we had children's books. We went to the library as well, and we checked books out of the school library, which was a really wonderful thing. Uh, we just we just had books at home. We had the encyclopedia at home. Remember those days when <laughs> they oh, had oh, physical I, set I of do. encyclopedias. <laughs> well, my oldest son is turning thirty, and I can remember um, his father being very annoyed with me when I ordered the Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh, right, man. remember? You know, and he and he's like, "Why in the world? That's very expensive." And I said, "You don't understand. You just don't understand." <laughs> well, I mean, this was in 1986, you know, so. You know, maybe he saw it to the future with the Internet, but, uh, you know, either way, I mean, we still, you know, those, the, the, that's how we learned as kids, is the encyclopedias. And and yep. to linger in them. There's something about lingering in a book, turning the pages, spending a little bit of time, discovering something on another page that maybe you hadn't even been looking for. And I think that's part of it, too, is that there's just a discovery in there. So my I, kids' I, books, I, I my do. my hope on my kids' books is that um, 
they learn something about Mother Earth. They learn something about the surroundings, and they, and I do believe the more that we know about something, the more re- respect we have for something. So, uh, how the trees got their voices is this um, kind of mythical tale about um, how the trees discovered what they were really missing. They were missing the ability to be able to speak to one another of love and fear and all the things that we talk about you know, as human beings. And in their process of being able to get their voices, they have all these facts around the edges of the pages that help children understand that the columbine grows close to rock so it has the heat of the day, you know, those kinds of things. And then I ask some questions as well. But my intention is that children become more uh, curious and more excited about seeing what's around them. And so then when they do go outside, they're looking for things, you know, they're looking for the butterfly or the little bird in the tree, that kind of thing. The white butterfly is a story about this very, very courageous, very talented, um, fast and um, generous butterfly. And she falls into the, the kind of the path of becoming more worried about her looks. She wants many colored wings because she thinks she'll be more spectacular in many colored wings. But what she doesn't realize is how important those wonderful inner gifts are, much more important than the outer appearance that she might have. And in her whole path, it's almost a hero's journey, her whole path of um, using her innate gifts, her wonderful gift of speed and courage and determination, she discovers that vanity is what blocks her from being her wonderful, beautiful, sparkling, marvelous self without the external, um, you know, covering of many colors in her wings. <laughs> and again, oh, this book I is think fabulous. it's a really... I think it's a really beautiful story about how children, especially kids, you know, they get into this trap that they need to be somebody other than who they actually are. They they have a hard time recognizing their wonderful, powerful, innate gifts and start thinking that they have to be somebody else from some outside influence. So all of these books are to get kids to wake up to their wonderfully um, curious and, and, you know, their own personal powerful selves. It's pretty cool to be able to work on well, them. I, really, I am very humbled to be able to work on things like this. <laughs> I am. Well, it's, 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 you know, first of all, the story, I mean, and we're going to talk about both books, but the story, White Butterfly and Her Wings of Many Colors, has so many sub-layers <laughs> in it. You know, there's the magic fairy princess who's worried about the rose garden, you know, where something has happened. And, you know, and then she gives her all, give, gives the white butterfly all the, you know, the, the, the cautious instructions. Be careful when you get here and be careful when you get there. And, of course, do this. And, you know, she gave, it was like this whole little journey. And before the white butterfly left, of course, she's asking for her colored wings. And and the the you could tell the the fairy was just like what why would you want colored wings you know like you're beautiful <laughs> just the way you are why do you want those and you know and then she was so distracted with the rose 
problem, you know, that, but yet she said, okay, let's, let's revisit this. She didn't say no, but she was trying to understand. And the beautiful, you know, when you, when, when the white butterfly arrived safely and, you know, fixed the problem and the smell of the roses with her, you know, oh. I mean, oh, I don't know. It's a wonderful I part just, of the story. <laughs> Well, and it's so true. You know, so many times, you know, you look at kids and, you know, they go through their different periods and, you know, they have their this and their that. I mean, every generation has their thing. But when you, you know, the beautiful part of this story is like bringing it full circle back to who are you and your special gifts. And I love, I just, I'm not going to give the whole story away, but for those of you that are listening, (laughs) this book is well, well worth, you know, I mean, Adults learn from it as well as children. I mean, really, it's just about so many different facets of life. And the pictures are absolutely gorgeous, just absolutely gorgeous. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. The story actually came from a gentleman who has passed on. His name is Arnold Bustillo. And his daughter and her husband actually um, started the process that Sonia discovered that her father had written this story when she was going through his papers, and uh, she and her husband decided to try to bring it into book form. And in that process, it was determined that really it needed to be rewritten more for a modern audience. Arnold had written it many, many years ago. And in that process... uh, for me to rewrite it and determine what the illustrations were going to be at the same time was just, it was just an amazing process. It was a wonderful process. So with the thread of the the bones of the story that Arnold had and the um, process of me rewriting it and putting it into um, kind of a more sparkly form with Uh, fewer words than when he had originally written and uh, a little bit different way of looking at things like vanity was a really important part of this story but also this this butterfly who is really you know in some ways she's really pretty strong-willed and she has to make some mistakes and she has to go on a daring journey and (laughs) I mean there are villains there are (laughs) <laughs> there are all kinds of parts of the story that makes it very appealing for kids of all ages. It made it very. Yeah. I, this is the kind of story I, I, my daughters. I have two daughters, and there, there were times even when they were in middle school and high school, they wanted to be read to. It just brought back a time where everything slowed down when I was reading to my children, you know, their good night um, stories. And one of them would once in a while say, Mom, would you just read to me? And I see White Butterfly as being one of those stories that even when the kids get older, they would love to be read to or read it themselves. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you have, I I, I couldn't wait to hear your voice because I thought, okay. I mean, you know, because, you know your 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 own book that you've you know you've written and we'll hear about you know that in just one second it you know i you know i my sense i i kept thinking oh i just can't wait to hear her voice i bet she could read these stories <laughs> and they would mesmerize the children as much as her words you know and, and it really is soothing it's soothing to children you know it's like especially when they've heard a story over and over and they hear different things with different, you know, different parts of the story. And those are neural pathways and memories. Absolutely. 
Very, that's yep. a very what, nice way to say that. I really agree with that. Okay, so let's go on now. Um, and by the way, uh, listeners, there is a wonderful article in um, Spirit Seeker's uh, March issue that you can read online at spiritseeker.com um, about uh, Sue and um, and the, about the white butterfly and how it came to be, um, and then also about how the trees got their voices, which is the perfect segue. <laughs> how did this book come to be? <laughs> Well, I was when my when my daughters were growing up. I was a Girl Scout leader, and I had two troops, one for each of my daughters. And I was a Girl Scout leader, and I'm I'm a real proponent of Girl Scouting, and particularly tent camping. And I always took my my troops tent camping. I wanted them to be able to really feel what it was like to be outside and hear the coyotes at night and listen to the wind at night. Well, one one um, camping trip, uh, the wind had blown all night, and it was it was you know kind of ruffled the girls, and they hadn't slept particularly well. And after we had had lunch, I said, "Why don't you guys go into your tents and just sing and have fun and do a little playing, and um, we'll get to cooking later on because we cooked over." Um, wood fires and I mean they had a real outdoor experience so I went over to a wildflower meadow with my my uh, wildflower book it was just right next to the tent it was just near the fire circle and I kept hearing these voices now this sounds really kind of weird but I kept hearing these voices and I kept thinking who in the world is in camp and I kept it was like I was just um forcing myself into trying to hear the words. And my eyes swung around to this um, growth of trees right by a a rock outcropping, and I went, oh, my goodness, the voices are coming from these trees. (laughs) And I walked over there, and as soon as I just faced the trees, you know, just full-blown, almost my arms out, this story poured into me. And my first thought was, oh, my goodness, here's a story, and I'm going to have to run to the tent and get my tablet and write it down. Well, I knew it would be gone if I had done that. So I stood there while this story just poured into me, and I felt that Mother Earth was actually giving me the story, you know, of how the trees got their voices. And I was so immersed in this story when it, when it started to end, I realized, oh, my goodness, we need to get cooking going. We, I had the girls in patrols and, you know, the fire starters and the food prep kids. and the, <laughs> So we had to get right. going before, before it got dark. It's hard to clean up, you know, from a meal when it's dark. But after uh, we'd had our s'mores and we were sitting around the campfire doing some singing, I told them the story of how the trees got their voices. And That's where it started that it night, over the campfire. <laughs> over the, right there at the campfire. Oh, so I went back to my tent. I went back to my tent, and my co-leader had already settled in for the night. She had brought her younger daughter, and I just, she said, Sue, where did you get that story? That was such a great story. And I said, well, it just kind of came to me. And I sat there for, you know, quite a while writing down the bones of the story 
then life, I got home. I, you know, I started fiddling around at the illustrations because I kind of knew what I wanted to do. But then, you know, raising kids and heading up a household and having freelance work and all the stuff that comes with just having a family, uh, it just stayed in the corner for years. And I would get it out every so often and just go, you know, I need to work on this. But, you know, there was always something else that came up. Well, about three years ago, I decided, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do with this book, but I want to get the illustrations done because it kept working on me. You know, it was one of those thoughts that can't be unthunk. So I kept working on me, and I <laughs> I got the illustrations done, and I had no idea where it was going to go. But Karen Stoos of Satyama, um you know, if you go to satiana.com, you'll get a little, you'll see who she is. She and her sister started this small uh, publishing and, um, you know, having products that help people along their own very important spiritual lives. She and I had known each other for some time, and she and another woman were working on a project, a board game, and asked me to join the team. And I was quite delighted to join the team as the illustrator of this board game. And we're still working on it. We're getting close to beta testing now. So in that process, one of the women is a writer and has published several books. And Karen, who is um, a marketing research and marketing person and owns Satyama, I thought that would be a really great way to bounce the book off of them and get their honest input because I knew I would get it from them and just see if there was a future in this book. And I got done reading it to them and Karen said, I would like to publish your book. So that's how it started with Satyama. Oh my goodness! I wondered. I didn't know the story. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know and their that website. Has been a wonderful. That was a wonderful journey for me because Karen's really savvy about how to go about doing things. Mm-hmm. I agree. And you know, um, listeners, I'm going to spell it as Satyama S A T I A M A dot com. And yes. Yes. you know, they 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 just find the people doing good works and off the beaten path sometimes, but yet mainstream as well. And, you know, they do a wonderful job of uh, getting the products to um, to the public. And, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just interesting that that is, that you were friends with Karen first. I did not know that part of the story. And here you are helping them with other projects, and you have this one that's been sitting in the corner <laughs> just waiting for the perfect timing. Not oh, knowing my gosh. if it had any future or not. So, yeah. She was she was really instrumental in bringing this to print, um, not just to print, but to actually do the marketing and distribution, that kind of thing on it as well. And she's really savvy about it. There's another part of her business, uh, Satyama Writers Resource. If anyone out there is interested or has a manuscript, even an idea for a manuscript, or has already written something like, a children's book, that would be a really good resource for people to go to because I think Satyama Writer's Resource really does it all. Everything from helping somebody do a fundraising, you know, a fu- like a fund sourcing 
uh, site or program uh, to writing, to editing, to um, you know bringing it to print, to marketing, to distribution, all of the kind of stuff that um, that is needed when you bring a book, you know, a book to life. But Satyama really does it all. It's been a wonderful experience for me. Well, and you know, I, you know, I've known Karen and her sister for a long time, but I had no idea until, you know, we started working together <laughs> with promoting, you know, her authors and the site. I mean, you know, they were even at some of the conferences that Spirit Seeker put on, but I never knew the depth and level of the work they were doing until um, we just started working together recently. And yeah. I just, I was just amazed at all of the different offerings. And um, and your book has won 13 national awards. So, uh, you know, so... Quite, so I mean, it's 13... quite exciting. <laughs> so, you, know, you know, I think one of the wonderful things about awards is that it becomes um, more recognized, which means the book gets into the hands of more children. See, that's my goal. I just, I just think... I would love to have children be able to make that their favorite book and to learn about Mother Earth and to be excited and curious about what goes on around them. See, that's my that's my whole goal. These awards make it possible for it to get a little bit farther out. It's like dropping a pebble in the water, and the rings keep going out farther and farther. And I think that that I think for Satyama as well that that's their intention. You put a pebble in the water and it keeps going out, and you become stronger and stronger within yourself to be able to uh, accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. So the awards and have been really <laughs> quite wonderful. Well, <laughs> white well and your love of nature received. comes. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, your say love White Butterfly of, has also gotten a couple awards already, and it's only been out for six weeks, so we're pretty oh, darn I excited about it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, both books are beautiful, but, you know, when you, um, you know, your book, How the Trees Got Their Voices, it's so interesting in St. Louis today, it's like in it was in the 80s, and, you know, of course, I had all the windows <laughs> open, and, you know, during this interview, I don't know if you could hear it, I was like, oh, gosh, they're so loud, I probably should close the window, but the wind was blowing, I mean, it's been pretty much still, not that much noise, wind activity, until you were describing how you channeled that book and it was downloaded to you. And all of a sudden, the wind chimes started clanging and the trees were swaying. And I was like, and you know, I can remember when I bought this house 20 years ago, the real estate agent was annoyed with me um, because I said, I have to live somewhere where there's trees. I said, if I have to live, you know, in a in an area where I have, not, it sounds terrible, but you know, to say it, but if I, I said, if I'm going to have to have neighbors, I have to have trees. And she says, do you know how much that's limiting, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, and I also need to walk out on my lower level so that I don't feel like I'm in a basement so that I can like, yeah. walk out into nature. And she's and she just laughed at me, but when we, when I the house found me actually, and um, when I saw it, I thought, oh, this is it because it's on a between my the back of my house and the next subdivision over. There's common ground, and there are all these trees. That, you know, Perfect. I've always loved trees. Oh, I know, but seriously, <laughs> well, I will. You know, 
Go ahead. I do think when you put your intention out there, too, that you draw that to you. And haven't you noticed the trees, depending on the the shape and the structure of the trees, don't they sound different? It, when oh, absolutely. The wind is coming through an evergreen, for example, there's a there's more of a whooshing sound. There's there's it's more it's a more compact sound. I don't even know how to explain it. But when it really rushes through the cottonwoods, it's almost like the cottonwood branches are whipping the sound around a little bit. And I live outside of Boulder, Colorado, and we get pretty high winds here. I'm always quite respectful of trees and what they have to put up with, you know, and the wind is blowing 80 to 100 mile an hour gusts. So oh, I know. It, I think, well, I think trees are trees and wind are really wonderful. <laughs> what a perfect story, well, huh? <laughs> well, and listeners, this book. Okay, there's so many, so many different facets of how the trees got their voices. Okay, so what happens is the animals all have their voices, right? So the trees are, you know, mm. listening to, you know, the different, the woodpecker, the the bee, you know, the um, the raccoons, etc. And 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 they're like, well, we want our voices too, and you know, and and so here are these trees, tall, beautiful trees. You know, I was just thinking, oh, my gosh, the redwoods. And I was just thinking of trees when I was reading your book. And, and you know, and, and then, you know, it's like, but but the trees can't have loud voices because they would scare people. <laughs> I was thinking about, you know, my son's <laughs> six foot five. And I can remember, wow. you know, as a, I knew he was going to be, you know, uh, tall when he was born and I just remember as a little boy going oh my you know like I am going to have to learn to like totally be able to dialogue with him because you know this this child is going to have this big presence and you know as I was reading this book this book to prepare for the interview I was thinking you know like just think about if trees had loud voices like the thunder or whatever you know it would scare people (laughs) It would, you know, and make them feel small. I think I have that in there, you know, that the, tre- yes. the trees would be loud and make make the others feel small. And I and I said that, you know, there's a there's an underlying meaning of that as well. Then when when we're too loud, when we are too boisterous, when we are too demanding, that that can make other people feel small. And but if we use our gentleness, if we use our kindness, if we use um, you know, if we're able to walk in somebody else's shoes and just have a feeling of what they're feeling, then we can use the appropriate voice. Just like the trees. <laughs> Oh, I know. I mean, I could hear the orchestra of the trees than when you were describing it. And then you could hear, you know, the whole animal kingdom, you know. And so, uh, you know, the beautiful part about this book is at the top of each page there are um, there are other little, you know, thoughts. So, like, at one point, I'm just going to read this one page. It says, and okay. I began to realize why his mother earth was including me in one of her ancient stories. All I had to do was listen inside my heart, and I finally heard the words. And this is what they said. But then as as she's uh the, as the author is taking you on you know the author sue that we're talking to is taking you on this journey <laughs> at the top it's talking about jupiter has the most moons neptune takes 165 earth years to go around the sun you know one time and then you know it's talking about all about planet earth and then there's this beautiful picture 
of Mother Earth with all of the <laughs> stars and the moon and, you know, the planets and, like, all of the nature growing, you know, her hair is like leaves and, and you know, just, it's just exquisite. And then on the next, oh, uh, on you. another page, on another page it says, sweet-scented blossoms holding nectar, barking, housing insects of lovely lovely colors. And then it talks about all the different insects. It talks about, you know, the honeybees, the green katydids, you know, the damselfly, you know, all of these different things. And then later it talks about how the trees provide shelter, you know, like, you know, when you think about, you know, the, the different animals that use it for shelter. And then another picture is, a person resting against the tree, like just, you know, <laughs> with the shade providing this wonderful canopy, you know. I mean, I, you know, I just, I just, it's a beautiful book. I am so glad Thank you. that, Thank you, so you know, much. You, you, you have brought this to us. And, you know, so Sue, getting all these awards, I mean, 13 awards is a lot. <laughs> Which awards have spoken to you? I mean, not not to be lonely, and this is, we haven't said and listed them. We were not going to hurt anyone's feelings, but you know, is there is there one one or two awards that have actually you're like, oh, this is, you know, this is why I do this work. I'm really proud of. <laughs> well, that's a wonderful question. Um, the Moonbeam Award. I was very proud of the Moonbeam Award. It's a literacy award. And it is um, the category honored best writer, which was really a wonderful thing for me. I haven't ever thought of myself as being a writer. I have my own freelance business. I've done writing with my freelance. You know, I've written brochures and that kind of stuff. But to actually be a writer of uh, a literary book, was that was quite an honor for me. And there was a... Um, the Next Generation Indie Award was actually for Best Design, which was pretty cool, too. The most recent award is the Glad Burgess Award, and this one was really quite wonderful because Glad Burgess was an um, uh, editor, a very famous editor for many, many years. He's no longer here, but he started a foundation for good children's literature. And what the what the uh, foundation does is they actually go out. There there is a a call for submissions every year, but they will actually go out to bookstores. They read reviews. They do all kinds of research on different books, and if that author or illustrator doesn't submit an application for an award, then they will actually contact that author and say, "We have um, read your book." And we really encourage you to, uh, you know, fill out a submission for um, an award. And they had actually done that last year. And just, we, both Karen and I just got so busy we didn't uh, follow through on it. But this year we did. And lo and behold, here is this Galette Burgess Gold Award, which we were just, I was just really very honored to have that award. And I guess the other award would be a, a cover award, the Coalition of Visionary Resources. And this one, this award was the People's Choice Book of the Year, <laughs> which is darn cool. <laughs> and that was not just yes. <laughs> books. That was all books. That was all books, and it was Book of the Year. So. I know. That's pretty amazing. That's totally That's amazing. Pretty, uh, what an <laughs> totally acknowledgement. Amazing. Wow. So, 
I you know. know <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, seriously, I mean, you you have the winner, um, Moonbeam, you mentioned the Children's Literacy Award. You have the co- winner of the Coalition of Visionary Resources uh, Visionary Fiction <laughs> Book for 2015. You have the winner of the Coalition Visionary Resources People's Choice Book of, um, of the Year. You have the Mom's Choice Award Gold Medal. You are the winner of the Creative Child Magazine 2015 Book of the Year Kids Nature Books category. You are the we- winner of the Creative Child Magazine <laughs> 2014 Book of the Year. And then, as you mentioned, the overall winner of the 2015 Next Generation Indie Awards for Best Design. So it's like you were acknowledged Acknowledged on all <laughs> levels, and well, you know, you. I, I just, you know, you know, I can remember, you know, not not to take away from your thunder, but I can remember when Wayne Dyer, who had written so many books, all of a sudden uh, branched into children's books, and you know, much yeah. of his, it was this that he wanted to. He, as you were educating children about nature and slowing it down and being present, um, that was his his wish also, as yours is, um, you know, to help children feel more connected, you know, and, yes. and aware of their own inner strength. Well, thank you. I mean, Wayne Dyer is one of my favorites. And I do think... Um, White Butterfly, going back to White Butterfly, really is in that genre of um, children being able to say, oh, look, I have this. I have a gift of creativity, or I am able to run fast, and I have um, the ability to speak in front of a group, you know, those kinds of things. And they start thinking about these as really wonderful gifts, or really wonderful, the, the things that make us unique and the things that make us strong within ourselves, and the things that uh, allow us to really pursue those, um, you know, paths in life that really augment what we already have. And I think that that's really, that's what White Butterfly is really all about, is that she falls into this facade of vanity, but on her path, discovering who she is she you know she meets the villains and she uh, gets captured and she has to escape and she uses good common sense and she uses speed and courage and look she she (laughs) she made it and right right most wonderful thing is she really understood that who she is on the inside is far more important than just the facade of color on the outside so, thank you for that oh my comparison. <laughs> no, it was like perfect, you know. I and you know, it's I understand. So, so Sue, how can people find um, how the trees got their voices and white butterfly? And I want to hear about your other products because I know you have other products as well. So, oh, how okay. can but how can they find the books? And then let's segue into your other products. Well, Satyama is a good place. Satyama dot com. Um, She's got the books, and she actually has my other products as well, or some of my other products. And I have a website, suelion.com, which right now is being completely revamped. So, But I also have an Etsy store. Etsy is a, E-T-S-Y, is a wonderful place for artists to be able to um, list their work and sell their work. And that's suelion. L-I-O-N, my last name is L-I-O-N, Inc., I-N-K, 
I'm an illustrator, .etsy.com. And and then Amazon has both the books, and many, many local bookstores have the book. Uh, independent bookstores have the book. So lots of places to find them. My okay. other products, <laughs> I have other products. Um, I have some a couple decks of affirmation cards that have my own illustrations and my own writing on the back. The whole purpose of these cards is to help people uh, focus on a positive message, and each one of them has a little nudge to um, take action. And I also have a, a deck of spirit animal cards that can be used as wisdom cards. Each of the animals comes to us with a message. They they seek us out. I've done a lot of work with Native American belief system around their animals. And animals come to us to give us their messages, and it's just literally up to us to listen and pay attention and to be one with the whole and not think of ourselves as a, to be above the whole but one with the whole. The universe is all, it works in many magical, mysterious ways, and we are just one part of it. And I've got some little mini decks, you know, just little things that you can take in your backpack, some journals and bookmarks, nice. those kinds of things. Yeah. <laughs> Lots well, of and you stuff. know, it's, it's time, to, you know, I, one of the first uh, decks of cards I ever worked with way back in the day were the um, the medicine cards, you know, and oh, we would yes. always take those along, Jamie Sams, you know, when we would take those along. Yep. Um, I, used to, I used to go camping with two of my girlfriends, and we would um, – we would take my children, and I was so grateful to the one friend because she always brought her drum, and she would teach the children around the campfire at night. She would play the drum, and she'd say, "Listen to the heartbeat of Mother Earth," you know. And oh, you know, we we wonderful. I know, and you know, yes. so and I was and I was a, a, a Cub Scout leader and a girl a, a brownie oh, leader. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. I, we just give. <laughs> Oh, I know. And, you know, it's 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 a devotion, and you get to know these kids, you know, and it's like, who knows? Well, not even who knows. It obviously inspired, you know, you you know, the universe is like, okay, we want to grace you with another level. You've helped all these kids with the, learning how to be Girl Scouts and honoring the earth and, you know, organizing them and teaching them how we all work together, and then here you get this book downloaded to you, and then, you know, here you are creating books for other people, and then, you know, it comes yeah. full circle to you. So it's it's just really quite beautiful. And, um, you know, we have a little more time. What what would you like to say to just anything? We can go in any direction. Um, we've kind of covered, you know, in case there is a listener here who feels inspired to write a children's book, that Satyama is definitely a wonderful resource on every level from the writing to editing to promoting. Um, but what else would you say, you know, for parents in – I really – I think that's where I want to go. With the parents of today's children – any wisdom here? I think that it is very, I think not only is it important to read to children, but I think it's important for parents to hear what they're reading to children. Because I do think there are so many children's books, if we just talk about children's books, 
that are filled with wisdom and insight. And, you know, the the magical, I'll, I'll put that in quotation marks, but the magical part of children's books is that you can, the author can fly free. We can have fairies and we can have butterfly collector villains and we can have, uh, you know, um, chameleons who are shooting their tongues out trying to catch butterflies. You know, these are things in the white butterfly book. But we can have all of that in the children's book and it, the, and adults don't start discounting uh, the the magical story of it because, you know, it's a children's book. Well, I think those are some of the most important messages and some of the most important memories that we have as we become adults. My encouragement is parents don't lose that magic. Let your eyes be open to those things that you can't you can't test or you can't justify or there's no bottom line, that those experiences of reading those books of little girls learning that they have wings or uh, little boys discovering the insects in the trees, that those are those are as important as learning how to add and learning how to write. So I think, you know, my encouragement to parents particularly, or anybody, anybody who works with children, who reads to children, that they don't lose that magic that's around us all the time. I think, you know, you had talked about where can where can people uh, start, say if they have an idea for a book, whether it's a children's book or whether they're writing mem- memoirs. I have a wonderful friend who is a personal, um, a certified personal historian, and she encourages people to write down the stories of their lives. And not even if you know what's going to happen to it later on, just write down the stories of your lives because it's important to to pass that, you know, pass that wisdom and pass that knowledge along. If people have ideas or if they want to write a book or they have already written a book, I'd say go to Satyama Writer's Resource and start working with Karen. I think she's really savvy about what she does. And to to just to start the process, just to get it down, don't worry about what it looks like. You don't have to share it with anyone right away. Just put your words down. Hand write your words. Don't even put it on the computer yet. Just hand write your words. There's this wonderful connection between your mind, your eyes, and your hand when you're handwriting. And, and start just start putting those wonderful words that are going to be unique to you and nobody else. Your experiences are unique to you and nobody else. And and just begin. And don't we have we have a tendency in the US particularly that if you don't have the gold medal, if you don't get the gold medal in the Olympics, good heavens, why did you ever try? And I say, <laughs> just <laughs> being in the Olympics, just being in the Olympics, just shows a, a huge amount of commitment and, uh, you know, kind of uh, showing that you have the fortitude and the stick-to-itiveness to be able to just to get. Well, I say the same thing about our daily lives, that we have, we have these wonderful, amazing things that happen, and... All we need to do is look at it that way, that this is quite an extraordinary moment when somebody walked outside and instead of just 
cursing the wind, they start listening to the wind and the songs in the wind and the different sounds in the wind when they go through an evergreen tree or they go through a, you know, a cottonwood tree. I just say, don't lose, don't think that everyday life has to beat you down and you lose the magic of life. Just look at it as life is magical and full of, you know, twists and turns and amazing lessons. Every day we have an amazing lesson. Start reading children's books. Maybe people should go to the library and just start pulling out children's books and start reading some of these children's books that are filled with wisdom and insight and the delight of life. (laughs) I think that's absolutely... Did I answer that question? I kind of whacked on here. You know what? I totally was there with you every step of the way. And what okay. I can honestly say is I am, I, you know, we're kindred spirits. And, you know, you know how you were saying, write, uh, just t- make your notes, et cetera. Do you know that every one of Wayne Dyer's books was written by hand? Oh, absolutely. I, I, you know, his kids gave him an iPad shortly before, you know, he made his, you know, transition. But he that was mainly he learned how to check his emails. He just was not like a techie kind of guy. I mean, he could could be, but that wasn't his thing. You know, he yeah. and so he hand wrote every single one of his books. Oh, wow. And so you know, I mean, so I think there's something, and they've done studies, you know, with people who journal oh. and people who, you know, get it from their head onto the paper. They're, you know, I'm a very visual person, so I understand totally. But, you know, after 20 years of publishing, you know, you can imagine, you know, I've worked with various editors over the years and, you know, various, you know, different support people and, you know, all the different authors. But, you know, your words of wisdom in this interview, you know, I know you're going to be inspiring people, you know, and you deserve every single one of those awards and more. I mean, these, <laughs> well, thank you. Know, you know, oh my gosh, you know, and I will probably never be able or you know feel the wind like it picked up again right at the end of this interview. It's just so interesting, you know, because whenever you know I'm I'm able, I always have my windows open and the wind coming in, and you know, I'll okay. tell you the truth. <laughs> The trees speak to us. Nature speaks to us, and it's, you know, so many, so many people get in their car, they go to work, they get out of their car, they go inside their building, they come out of their building, get inside their car, go in their garage, go inside their house, and they miss the whole world. You know that. And they have music blasting in the car, and oh, they have they're it, on yeah. the phone at work, <laughs> and we lose we lose touch with the natural sound. I I had a friend, I have a friend, who was very afraid to go outside because there wasn't the consistent noise level. You know, there there wasn't something to fill up that space or what she felt would fill up that space. And she was very nervous about going outside and just sitting under a tree. And I remember one night my... my friend and I took her up into the mountains, and it was just completely dark. And we were going out there to look at the stars, and she could hardly take her hand off the car. She was so spooked because it was dark, and there was a little bit of a breeze, but there was, it was like, it was you could see the Milky Way, you know, it's up in the mountains, and this right. black sky with this, you know, this spray of of light, little pinpricks of light. And and we finally got her to release release her very strong grip on the car and come out to the center of the road and we just stood there. And she said that was that was kind of an 
um, life-changing experience for her. She grew up in New York, you know, you know, New York oh, City. Right. Well, and she so, was totally overstimulated <laughs> with the noise, but not not well, the noise so of, of, of yeah, right, right. We, we fill oh up my gosh, with that noise. <laughs> right. Anyway, go so out, do go you out have, and enjoy nature. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Sue, do you have anything new? We're, we're nearing the end of our interview. Do you have another book in the works? I do. Um, there are. Three, uh, Karen has encouraged me to to do a, a sequel of How the Trees Got Their Voices, which is not going to be How the Trees Got Their Voices, but it will be uh, a book in the series of how how did you know something happen. And I've already got the uh, working drawings done for that one. I've got that written in working drawings. But I'm also doing a book on Sammy the Seahorse, which is written for an author that I've done another book for. So this is going to be a little science book about seahorses, which has really been interesting to me because I have never lived by the sea, so I've had to do a lot of research on, you know, the different plants and animals and creatures that are in the ocean. And then I have another book coming up. A woman in Florida has written a book um, about trees and about a little leaf and that's going to be a delightful one that won't have a lot of words and it. it'll have a lot of illustration in it so yes things coming up oh, fabulous, <laughs> <things>. fabulous fabulous <laughs> fabulous well i i just can't thank you enough so listeners you've been hearing this wonderful interview with Susan, well, she prefers Sue, but officially it's Susan Andra Lyon. She is the uh, she is a an author. She's an illustrator. Um, you can find and she has wonderful products. Um, you can find all of this and more at satiama.com, which is S-A-T-I-A-M-A.com. And you will be able to uh, go to, you can go to Sue's website, but it's under construction, it's being renovated, but um, it's Sue Lyon, which is S-U-E-L-I-O-N.com. And I am just delighted. I just cannot thank you enough for being my guest and you know, thank you for your article that you contributed to Spirit Seeker magazine and just you know, thank you for the work that you're doing. You are you are influencing children and adults, you know, truly. That's why you know, I did, and and your and your artistic talents. I just think it's fabulous that you have all the different awards from every angle because, you know, you can feel your heart and soul and your heart-based living, you know, through your books. You really can feel it. So from my heart oh. to your thank heart, you. Sue. <laughs> thank oh, you so thank much you for so being much, my guest. Cindy. Yeah, and the work that you're doing. And, you know, keep us posted, you know, at Spirit Seeker because um, okay. your work's making a difference, and that's what we're about. So thank you so much. And, um, you know, I will just stay in touch. Okay. All right. All right. Wonderful. Okay. Have a wonderful Thank evening. you. All right. All, All right. right. Good night. Yeah, bye. Okay. All right. So, listeners. That, as I said, was Sue Andra Lyon, and we uh, this is a two-part show tonight. We're um, going to segue into part two in just one moment, um, and it's going to be a fabulous second part to the show. We are totally switching gears uh, and going uh, to talk to Terry Daniels, who is the founder of the Afterlife Conference and one of her uh, featured speakers, Suzanne Northrup, and they will be on the air in just a moment. So you're going to hear a quiet pause, and then we will be right back in less than a minute. So stay tuned. 
lovely. What we're going to do is we're going to go. I'm going to go ahead and do my announcements now because um, this will be one audio tape. So here are my announcements. This is Cindy Meyer. I am the publisher of Spirit Seeker Magazine. And uh, Spirit Seeker Magazine can be read online at www.spiritseeker.com. We have been published for 20 years, and we've been online since 1998. If you want to find a hard copy of the magazine, it's primarily throughout the Midwest. We are in Chicago, St. Louis, Kansas City, many other venues in, um, oh, and Indiana, and we are in uh, other spots along the way. We also work with conferences all over the U.S. and will be at eight different conferences with the magazine in the next uh, six weeks. So... We have a following. We have um, we have a the weekly radio show that you are listening to now. Uh, we have been on the air since 2006. We started in a traditional studio, and then we segued into the blog talk radio as and I can remember at first publishers all over were like no no we don't want to be on the internet radio we just want to be you know on the regular radio well guess what and the internet has changed all of our lives and uh, the beautiful part of being on a radio uh platform such as this is that the minute tonight's interview is completed, it is available as a downloadable file, an audio file, and we have people, you know, we get the statistics, you know, we're we're nearing our 100,000th uh, 100,000th listen and we get the stat- statistics every single month we know you're listening we know you're telling others uh, about the show and we're really grateful for that so um, so the other things about Spirit Seekers we also have a weekly email newsletter and the weekly email newsletter lets you know about when the magazine is online who the guests are on the radio show and also these other wonderful events happening um, throughout the U.S. and globally so I encourage you to send an email to info at spiritseeker.com asking to be added to our email list. We do not sell our list. It's sacrosanct. And we um, we let you know about all these events. And we also do periodic drawings for, you know, the different books that come our way, CDs, and um, we do music and uh, CD reviews every single month. We also uh, review DVDs. So all of this stuff comes to Spirit Seeker. We're blessed with all of the authors and different things, um, you know, products that arrive here, and then we, in turn, turn around and bless the people who support Spirit Seeker. So that is it. Those are all of the little, you know, announcements for tonight, and now we are going to go into part two of our interview. So I'm going to talk about Terry Daniels first, and then um, uh, she is going to, uh, and I know Terry is here, so I'm going to actually go ahead and bring both guests on. Uh, Suzanne and Terry, are you both there? I'm here. Okay, great. <laughs> okay. You All right, well, wonderful. Feel. And. Yeah, so Terry, Terry, I know that you, I, I'm not sure if you can stay on for the whole interview, so I'm going to talk about uh, you just a little bit first and hear about the conference, and then you're welcome to stay for the whole interview, ho- however that works out for you. But um, listeners, Terry Daniels, uh, Terry Daniel, rather, is a clinical chaplain. She is an intuitive counselor, and uh, she works with the dying and grieving individuals um, 
helping them to come to a more spiritually spacious understanding of, of death and the beyond. She is an author. She has written three books, A Swan in Heaven, Conversations Between Two Worlds, Embracing Death, A New Look at Grief, Gratitude in God, and Turning the Corner on Grief Street, Loss and Trauma as a Journey to Awakening. She is also the founder and president of the Afterlife Education Foundation, and she is the producer of the wonderful, amazing Afterlife Awareness Conference that is in its sixth year this year. She has worked with authors and amazing people working in hospice and working with death and dying and the afterlife and from every facet. So, Terry, I really want to thank you for your work, and I know you're bringing this conference to St. Louis on May 12th through 15th. And, you know, what what would you like to share about, about your journey, about the conference, and about our guest that's coming up? Um, you know, Suzanne, what would, anything you want to share? <laughs> okay. Well, uh, let, me, let me start from the end and work backwards. Our guest that's coming up is Suzanne Northrup, who is our official medium in residence at the Afterlife Conference. This will be her fifth year, I think, with us. And she she's just, um, she's such a gift to us because not only does she do readings for the audience, and also small groups and private readings, but she also teaches. And so what we're all about at the Afterlife Conference is we don't want to just put a bunch of talking heads up there and bore people to death with everybody pontificating about what they know about the afterlife. We actually want to teach people how to do this stuff themselves. And so one of the things that Suzanne is moving into with us is being one of our teachers. So she is teaching people how to develop their own intuitive abilities, their own mediumship skills, and how to understand how it works between dimensions, how our dead people, which is what we call them, we call them dead people, how our dead people actually talk to us. So what we're trying to do with the Afterlife Conference now in its latest incarnation is educate people not just about conscious dying, how to accept death, for the pristine spiritual process that it is, but also how to use our innate, divinely given abilities to walk through the dimensions and be with death and be with the afterlife in a number of ways. So Suzanne is one of the many teachers who who helps teach that. And the conference has been going on. This will be its sixth year. We're in St. Louis for our second time. And we're just all about trying to make people comfortable with interdimensional existence, if that makes sense. And we're adding a lot of mainstream stuff like hospice nurses, hospice chaplains, doctors, scientists. We're trying to merge the mainstream with the spiritual world, which is why we have this little catchphrase, which is where shamans break bread with scientists, and I think that pretty much sums up what the Afterlife Conference is all about. That's a beautiful, beautiful way to describe it, (laughs) where shamans break bread with the scientists. I mean, Terry, that's fabulous. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good catchphrase. (laughs) It definitely catches (laughs) the essence of the Afterlife Conference. Well, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, I can remember when it was here, you know, a few years ago, and I, I remember attending a panel discussion with hospice workers 
therapists and mediums. And it was just this beautiful, incredible experience, you know, where they all converged with the same intention of helping people you know, be be more connected, shall we say, and understanding that there really is no death. And, you know, I just remember this, this nurse saying, I wish that there was a medium in every emergency room so mm-hmm. that they, um, you know, could help the people who, you know, I mean, things happen and they happen so suddenly. And then, you know, and I used to be a nurse, I think you know that, and I've worked in ER many times. And when she said that, I could just totally, totally understand you know it was like wouldn't it wouldn't wouldn't it be different if every you know i mean you work as a chaplain and i know you work you know in hospice and et cetera. but but just imagine if every major hospital in the united states had that to offer i mean at least you know a medium or at least a shaman the nurse you're talking about is chris prieto and she was a critical care pediatric nurse for most of her career. And then she became a shaman, and she went to South America and studied with shamans. She's an extraordinary person. She is a teacher of mine. And what we're hoping for is that as consciousness expands to include an understanding of death, that in a hospital or a hospice or any clinical setting, that there will be at least a shaman, or someone trained in interdimensional work. And ideally, with grief counseling, a medium. And is Suzanne on the line? Suzanne, you can jump in if you want to say something anytime. Yeah, I will. I think we're, all, I'll, we're both I'll in this together. I'll let you finish that, kind of that one thought. But, yeah. but um, 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 hi, Cindy. <laughs> hi, Suzanne. Here. We thank don't want to ignore Thank you for joining us. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. thought. Was I, I mean, on we that need, panel when we, we had the, the medium with the scientists and the doctor? I think I was on that panel. Wasn't I in that panel that day? You I'm probably sure. were. I, I don't think remember. I was. But yeah. you know what? I apologize if I don't remember because it was just, it was so fascinating because there were like five to six people on the panel and yeah. then you entertained so many questions from the audience and there were, yeah. it was just, it, it, it was like a ricochet. It just kept going from here to there. And I, it, right. you know, it was multidimensional just being there. Yeah, and, and, so, and, and what I think is, you know, and, and just, you know, what I've, I've always sort of said like is, 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 and I think you obviously know this because you attended the conference, um, you know, when we were in St. Louis the last time, is that to to to, to Terry's credit, um, and uh, you know, and this is you know, I mean, I, I'm not a conference person per se with with a whole lot of different people. Um, and when I was asked to to come to Terry's conference, obviously five years ago, I'm excuse me, I'm still around, so I guess I, I must have liked it. But but for me, what I found was important is that just like in life, everybody has their views, everybody has their beliefs. Um, and you know you're you're never going to cater to all of those, but if you can compromise or I mean if you can if you if you can comprise um, a panel of people that you know that can come from all different aspects and and address what we know is the the the, the aspect of life life slash death um, that every single person is going to experience in some way in their life. And, and meet it in a way where you can address to everybody on all different kinds of levels a space for them to learn, to share, to care, to, to do all that, I think it takes somebody who's a very special talent 
that can really do that. And one of the things that Terry does is she provides it at this conference, which is one of the reasons why I happen to have been extremely drawn to it, because she does have the science aspect, she does have the you know the spiritual aspect, and she does have the Greece aspect. And you don't know where everybody is. People who attend that at a conference have never had anything to do with any of this in their life. And then there's other people who have, you know, have like you, have had their magazine and been involved with this for many, many, many years. But they go there, uh, as you said, and it was like, I'm sure as a nurse, seeing that panel there, you said, like, oh, my God, like, this is incredible. This should be at every hospital. This this should be at every place that, that to deal, somebody's dealing with, you know, um, the intensity of somebody that they love, physical passing. So um, I, I think that, you know, we, we are, we, we've come technically sort of a long way, um, there are now, and I, I think you know this, Terry. There are now there are now hospitals that actually do have specific areas where they have helped families. You know, talk about someone's going to die. You know, the decisions within the family, and just, just to start a dialogue, um, which is like it's so crucial because this is not like <laughs> this is not going to only affect a couple people in life. It's going to affect every single person on this earth, separate from their, their personal, from some somebody that they love. And and anywhere that you can, you can go into a situation to help console, to help you know educate, to help you know be there of like minds. Um, there's not a whole lot of places you can kind of do that. So uh, I I've always felt that this is you know the specialty of this conference, and and I think it brings people from all walks of life specifically for that reason. So. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's a big deal. And and should a medium be in the room or a shaman be in the room? Listen, I, you know, um, I, I know one of the things that Terry and I have spoken about is that um, there are certain hospice workers, and this is not to put any hospice workers down or whatever it is, that will sit next to somebody, you know, watching TVs. And, and uh, you know, and it's like when you're in an altered state, personally, who needs to hear commercials on television? But, you know, it's like, no, I know. you know, it, it's like you don't, I mean, because there's a consciousness thing that's kind of going on there, you know. And it's like, you know, that's kind of what, what you want to hear is either beautiful music, uh, somebody sitting next to you talking to you, reading you poems, reading you poetry, reading you stories, um, talking about your family, talking about the things you loved in your life. That's what you want to hear upon your transition in your life. That's what you want to be honest about. Or not. I have to interrupt that just a, a little bit because one of the things that we deal with in hospice and end-of-life care is we don't always know what the person wants to hear. Okay. So sometimes we'll get a patient in, in an inpatient hospice who is non-responsive, they can't talk, and we don't know, we don't have any information about their family or their history. And so if that person is there and they are seemingly what appears to be unconscious to our eyes, we don't know that they want to hear poetry or music or anything. We we know nothing about this person. So that's an interesting process that we learn. In fact, we teach at the conferences how to tap into the consciousness of mm-hmm. that person to sense what they want. Because many times I've sat and tried to read poetry or play music to somebody, and mm-hmm. I could see by looking at their body language that they didn't like it. Their eyes will squint, Interesting. their okay. face will wince up. So, so and they we were okay with like TV then? No, no, no. TV is terrible. But yeah, in my, okay. that's my opinion. <laughs> if in this person's life, if the TV was on all the time, right. then the TV is comforting to them. Got and it. so okay. we just don't know. So what happens is their that's family true. members, let's say, yeah. let's say it's an old lady and she's got some sons, and the right. sons will come into her room and turn on the football game. 
Mm-hmm. And that will drive me absolutely crazy because <laughs> I don't want someone to be listening to the football game as they're dying. However, I have to remember that maybe that was normal for her for life. For family. Maybe. I got you. Okay. Yeah. And Good so point. this the point. But, but we don't know. And so this is why intuitive skills are so important. So let's say there is no family there mm-hmm. and some volunteer turns on the TV because he or she wants to watch a football game. And, of course, if I was in that hospice, I would walk in and turn it off. But then again, I don't know, maybe that old lady listened to the football game her whole life and it reminds her of her her life. And maybe it's comfortable to her. We just don't know. And so we need intuitive training, like how to do a shared death experience, how to listen to the consciousness of a dying person to see what they want. Because sometimes they can't tell us. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. that's fair enough. Yeah, that's fair enough. So, you know, I, yeah, I just want, you know, I'm going to share a story that that tags into both both things that you both just discussed. Okay, so my mother um, had cared for my three children for nine days right after I was divorced, and I was teaching and traveling, and so I was gone for nine days. And when I while I was gone, my mom kept saying, my back is hurting me, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, Mom, when I when I get back, we really need to get this checked out. Well, within 24 hours of me returning, she was diagnosed with uh, terminal terminal cancer. You know, it was like they did the scan, and it was it was pretty interesting. It was a journey. We, we had checked earlier, like four months before, and they didn't find anything. And the reason is that um, the cancer had already metastasized to her spine, and so she had kidney stones with no pain because the nerves were, you know, the, that part of the uh, thoracic spine, it was, you know, the cancer had already gone there. So there was, I, because I said to the doctor, I said, who has kidney stones and doesn't have pain? I mean, I've had them. And what had happened, and he said, actually, he says, I was very concerned too. He says, the only time I've ever seen that is when someone has cancer, but I looked and I didn't see anything. Well, of course not, because it was in her bones, not in her um, kidney. So long story short, I had been um, asked to speak to the Greater St. Louis Hospice Association probably six months before my mom even was diagnosed to give a presentation on holistic and alternative healing approaches that can help a person when they're crossing over. And so lo and behold, the day that I gave that talk is the very first day that I had a hospice volunteer come to my home. It just lined up. The universe lined it up that way. And I was really nervous because my mom was still asleep when I left. And this hospice volunteer said, oh, you just don't worry about anything. Your mom and I are going to be just fine. And I was like, okay, you know, I know God works in mysterious ways. I'm like, this is all lined up. So when I came home after giving that presentation to all the, you know, hospices in St. Louis, here is this lady with my mom, music going. She had read Shel Silverstein's poet, you know, poetry to mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. They'd had these amazing conversations, and I had forgotten that my mom even wrote poetry. Completely forgot that oh. part of, you know, mm-hmm. she did it like way before. And so, after the after this this angel, I call her an angel, left, I was just so much more aware of, you know, I was more of a nurse toward the end of my mom's life. It was all-encompassing rather than getting to be her daughter. And I just, you know, I just have always thought back to that. Like, how did she know to bring up the poetry? How did she know to put that music on that Mm -hmm. made? My mom was just so happy. And she goes, who was that nice lady? She was so nice. So, you know, I think that 
I think that, you know, I, w- I want to lead into Suzanne's work, you know, as, you know, you're a grief specialist, you're a bereavement um, specialist, you have worked as, well, not worked as, you're you're definitely a well-known medium. You've been doing this work for over 30 years. You have, you know, a TV and radio show platform. You've written three books. You know, you've helped people bridging the gap between the living world and the spiritual world. And, you know, in your work, what, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you would, you could have so many things to share, but, you know, where would you like to go with this interview? Because so many people feel uncomfortable even talking about death and you know to me i it just has to i think that's why we have shows now we have tvs we have people fascinated mm-hmm. with the subject and we have conferences so right. suzanne what, where would you like to go just jump in well, please well you know it's, it's sort of interesting it's because you know the, the truth be told my work is really about living people <laughs> uh, my work is really not about the dead people the dead people are like fine doing their thing off doing their journey wherever they are um, and, you know, wanting us to know all of the things that I just said, that they are fine and well, they're, you know, they still love us, they don't want us to be bickering over stupid things in our family, and um, and that, you know, whatever was whatever had gone down, so to speak, prior to what, when they were physically here, uh, they're in a whole different state of consciousness. And, and it's sort of like, you know, it's very important to share that with people because they think, and, and it's interesting because so many people think, feel like they never did enough for this person. They're still left with all this unresolved stuff. And, and, and the, the person that's made their transition, they're no longer there. I mean, like that, this, that was like another lifetime for them, which almost is, is, is in fact, is, is true. So really my work is really about living people. It's about the people that are left here with all of the questions and the answering, and are they okay, are they not in pain anymore? Uh, essentially, you know, they didn't stop loving you, you didn't stop loving them. That's a continuum. Love does not end upon physical death. So really, that is really what my, my work has been for way over 35 years. And, um, and, and I think that, um, I, you know, in, in, in my state, you know, I... I was doing this work pretty much um, publicly before anybody else was doing it. I was sort of the pioneer that sort of started it. Um, there was the only way you could even this is this is to tell you how far we have gone. The only place you could ever have any access to a psychic or a medium or anything were at psychic fairs. Period. That's all existed. Oh, I remember that. I do yes, remember that. that. Was all that existed. The, it, it, was, there was no hay house. There was none of this. And that's how I started. I mean, I literally was doing, you know, uh, readings on the streets of Brooklyn, New York, for three dollars. Uh, does that tell you anything where this work has gone? So, <laughs> and you didn't go into this work certainly for money, not for three dollars a person. That's for darn sure. You went into this work because you had a calling. And um, it, you know, for me, it was like there were really not a whole lot of choices. It was, it was sort of like you know, um, it was sort of kind of in my face. But you. But when you came from the kind of place of what I came from, which is old school, there was this tremendous respectability and privilege of ethics in order to be chosen to do this. So there's obviously been a, a long way from where that is to what we call now, you know, acknowledging like rock stars of this field and whatever. But um, I, I, for me, I, I think that, to be honest with you, as, as long as I've been doing this, the basics of all of that have not changed. The basics of what the work is all about is connecting with the loved ones that have made the transition, passing that information on to the living folk connected to them, 
so that they know that there's this dialogue, that there's a continuum. And um, as Terry had mentioned earlier, one of the things that we actually, you know, really thought about because, you know, she is, you know, primary an educator. I mean, it is the Afterlife Conference Foundation, but it's also the Afterlife, from what I understand, educational foundation. And and, and the, the education is that, you know, this got nothing to do with you doing this professionally. What this has to do with with is opening yourself, your mind, your heart, your center, to the point of, of knowing and recognizing, because what a lot of people can't wrap their head around is the dead people's job, without question, is to connect with us in any way that they possibly can to let us know that they are fine and well to help us in our process, period. And they will do that relentlessly. So it's really, you know, this is not Hollywood, and, and, and it's like the ways that they do it would be things that would be synonymously connected to them, to them, that you would only know that it was them. So once you're able to start, you know, what I call opening up those doors um, and, and, and recognizing essentially the way that you receive information, which is very, very different from anybody else. I mean, when, you know, when I'm with, with a client or I'm, I'm working a lecture or a seminar or doing a workshop, and someone will say to me, well, how is my mom or my dad or my brother or my sister or my son, how are they giving me messages? I will immediately say, I'm not going to tell you. Because if I tell you the way that they're giving you messages, then you're going to look only that way. And what you're going to do, you're going to look only that way, and you're going to miss an opportunity of the way they're going to connect to you. Because that's what we do. We become narrow. Now, I can tell you the, the lots of ways the number one ways and the number four and five and six and seven, eight ways that they connect to us, but they may not be the way even for you. So in, in sharing the, you know, the information of importance of the educational aspect is that if you can just get to a place of wrapping your head around, which is really hard because remember, you know, after somebody passes, I, you know, everybody basically is what I call in the messed up stage or the grief stage or the, you know, the, the stage that you're numb and, and all of these things that are going on. It's not always the best place for you to receive information because you're in the mess stage, you're in the grief stage. But if you can within those next few days or the next week or the two weeks, because that is the first year is really, really strong contact time, if you can do that and somehow in your process say you've got to give me some signs and it may not be a whole lot, um, there may be just words or, or birds or butterflies or whatever to keep yourself open for when that happens, you'll know. And once you know that, that will be the place you'll always get your information. And it's like there really is a place we get an information within our being. I mean, some people feel it in their hands. Some people feel it in the back. Some people feel it in, the, in their head. Some people feel it right in the center of their hearts. Everybody feels it differently because you, your place is your place, nobody else's. And that's important. Yeah. I I that's totally, important. you know, I mean, it's just like, you know, people who are intuitive. Some people are clairaudient, some are clairvoyant, some are cognizant. You know, I yep. taste, you know, smell. I mean, you know, I mean, that was one of the things about being a nurse is, you know, I was fine with the the theory and academics. And then when I got into the clinical situation, within the first two weeks, my instructor, you know, pulls me aside into a conference room and says, I just really think you need to rethink this career as being a nurse. And I mm-hmm. was, like, shocked because from the time I was a little girl, I knew I wanted to be a nurse. And I said, what do you mean? And she says, 
you're just way too emotionally um, right. involved with your patients, you know, and you're, this work will do you in. If And I said, well, then what do I need to do? Because, you know, <laughs> right. you know this, right. I know this right. is my path. And, you know, it was, I didn't realize at the time that I was an empath. I didn't realize that, you're you know, nurse, people talk Cindy. to me. Yeah. Uh, well, yes, you're, I know, but you know, I'm, you're you know still a nurse, I mean, but you're just a soul nurse, not always. a body nurse. <laughs> always do, yeah. But, but you know, but you know yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's, Go it's, ahead. it's interesting you bringing it up, but but I think one of the things that you you know you absolutely said some people are clairaudient, some people are clairvoyant, something. But every single sense that we have is a sixth sense. Every sense is a sixth sense. Yeah. Oh, I. It's yeah. not just a sixth sense. It's a, you know, we categorize it as a different thing to the right. It's really not. And so you're right. If you are a person that has very high senses of smells, you will smell the dead people. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're driving on your car and you smell smoke in your car and you know you don't smoke, you know it's one of your dead people. I mean, it's, it's across the board. So if that's your sense, that's going to be your sense. Like I said, if you're an audio person, then you're going to hear. If you are a visual person, you'll probably have heightened dreams. And that's what I mean about finding out where your place is. Right. And, uh, and, and, and I would and, like and to add that, to that, that that's why it's so important for grieving people who want to have messages from their loved ones to educate themselves in how those messages come through. Because I hear this from people all the time. They say, oh, my so-and-so died, my husband, my son, whatever, and I never get any messages from him. But I do see him in dreams, and right. his favorite song comes on the radio, and his right. favorite bird was a bluebird who, and now lands on my porch every day, but I don't get any messages from him. And I just want to smack them, you know, right. and say, these are the messages. Why don't you believe this? And it's because they've seen too many Hollywood movies yeah. where they think the chairs are supposed to fly across the room and the lights right. are supposed to flash, and they're supposed to see an apparition speaking in a spooky voice. Right. And they right. don't understand that the messages are very subtle, and they emerge from inside your own heart. They don't come from outside. Right. And that actually, and that, believe it or not, has been a disservice to the work, to be quite honest with you about that. Oh, definitely. It's, yeah. it's not only it's that. It's sensationalist. Because, I know. Yeah, I agree. It's also, it's also freaked people out that the ghost people are going to come and bother me and whatever they're going to do. And it's like, these are people who love you. What do you mean? <laughs> what are they going to do? <laughs> they're going to they're stop by and tell you that they still love you because that's what they're going to do. Right, and they're not going to wear a raggedy white dress holding a candelabra if they didn't wear a raggedy white dress holding a candelabra when they when were they're alive. alive. Exactly, yeah. Right. Exactly. Wow. So, Su- Suzanne, I'm going to take it back to you for just a moment um, because I'm sure, you know, you, you were asked so many different questions, but, you know, with the Afterlife Conference, my experience um, is, you know, I was next to people who had lost children. I was next to people who had lost pets. I would, you know, it was grief was across the spectrum. So, right. you know, and then also, you know, suicide, you know, and, and so with children, you know, you know, Terry was saying that a lot of the, a lot of the work, you know, that she has worked with infants, you know, like neonatal nurseries, et cetera. And, you know, it's, it's just everything happening so quickly. So, for you, what would be your um, wisdom, shall we say, to offer parents who have lost a child, you know, infants or, you know, up even until age eight or just the young, the young developmental years or right in infancy, what, what would you, um, words of wisdom would you have to offer with, with that realm? Well, um, first of all, children are probably the most difficult in general, period. Uh, that's a loss that's 
you know, no one wants to go through in their life. I mean, they know they're going to probably lose their parents, and they may even lose a sibling, uh, and they may even lose their partner. Uh, and it's, you know, people's heads, and, and, I'll and Tara and I, we've actually talked about this, because it's just sort of like they don't think they're going to lose their children. And the conversations that her and I have had, like, well, why wouldn't you? I mean, <laughs> you know, I had both my grandmothers, you know, lost sons. My sister lost a son. I mean, <laughs> You know, I mean, so, right. um, so there's, there's no rules. Um, and people are very angry. Um, they get angry with God. They get angry with, you know, because their life is turned upside down. Uh, those toys are in the, that are in the yard, or, you know, that for that. I mean, it's, every, your whole life is, is, is consumed and enmeshed and every moment of what you went through as a parent. So in saying that, there's no easy way. There are no easy ones to any of this, um, which is why, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, sometimes somebody will go to 15 different mediums. Um, hopefully they're going to go to respectable mediums or mediums that are going to at least be you know, qualified or credible what they do because they're going to walk out of there and they're going to be more depressed than when they went in if that's the case. So... Generally, what I try to say to people is this. You have to, again, you have to stretch yourself to believe in your deep hearts that we don't die. And that that child that you love may have left their body, but they didn't die, nor can they die. And there is a highly 99 and three-quarters percent possibility that you will see them again. I almost, I promise people you will see them again. Whenever you make your transition, they will be when, there when you go over because you need them to be there when you go over. That will be ultimately, honestly, the easiest place. The hard one will be living the day-by-day -day life without them in a the physical body. But if you can somehow stretch yourself to know that although they may not be in their body, they are still connected to you and will continue to connect you. And if you can somewhere, as best as you can, work through that grief enough to be able to listen, you'll hear them. You may not hear them the next day. You may not even hear them to six months. Or you may not even hear them to three years. It may take you that long to get to that place. But if you can keep working at opening your heart and knowing that they're okay, and knowing that they continue to love you, and that they'll do everything that they can to let you know that. It, it, that and only that will help your process. Now, people come to me because they want to, they want to know for sure that their, their child, you know, is alive. Well, I'll give them validation and information that I couldn't possibly know because I've never met them before in my life. That, will, that may start their process. I, I'm not saying it will. But I would have to say that probably the highest percentage of, of people that I've worked with with children um, doesn't mean they still don't hold the, the anger emotions and whatever it is, but they usually, nine out of ten times, walk away at least knowing that they were okay and that there's an option. There's an option for that connection to happen. I, this is obviously true of all passings, uh, but, you know, it, it's always blown out of proportion when it, when it comes to children. So, you know, I, I think that you have to as best as you can. You know, it's like we can't give people hope. That's got to be something you have to have with you. It's like we can't protect the people that we love as much as we want to. We can't. We can't walk another person's path, 
and we can't protect these people that we love because we don't know what their path is. We just know we get the privilege to share it with them. Like We get the privilege to be their moms or their dads or their aunts or their uncles. We get that privilege because they've chosen their parents. They've chosen them when they prior to come into their life. So they've already like they've already got a privilege, you know, whatever it is. And so if you kind of look at it on that level, and that privilege, unfortunately, may only be 16 years or 32 years because it doesn't matter, or six days. It's, it, 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 there doesn't right. seem to be a, a number on you know on this. Um, and I, and, I, and I, you know, again, you know, just just to, to to add to it, that is what my work has been about, and that's kind of what the conference is about. So, do I think all of this is important? You're damn right. Um, and when I see when I see people that don't take this work to the level of what I believe the importance and the seriousness and the, the ethics that are involved in it, it, it's painful for me because um, this is not a parlor game. This is not something that you know is just about you know uh, stupid stuff on TV. This is about people's lives and people that they love. And you you if once you don't take that in consideration then to me you've lost the whole reason why you should, number one, even be doing this work and certainly be be sharing that and educating people with it. Um, and that's where you benefit from you know, a conference like Carrie's because you're going to go into an atmosphere. And, 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 it's, you know, and one of the things I always tell people when they come to my seminars, and pri- pretty much when I do a, a concert of this intensity, um, of, a, of an intensity of a, of a weekend, and, and I always try to like let them know this, and I go, listen, Please get people's names, phone numbers, those that you connect with the promise because at the, at the conference. Because what's going to happen to you is this: you're going to leave this conference high. You're going to leave this conference high and safe. And you're going to go out that door and you're going to go home, and you're going to want to share this love, this dream, with maybe the wrong person. And what's going to happen? It's going to crack you. So you've got to be very, very careful who you share these dreams with and who you share these experiences with because you're going to go from this place of being your heart opened out to the world, out to the world that you know, back to whatever you know your, your daily life is, and you just may say it's the wrong person. They're going to say, well, you must have been you know, uh, picked up by the Moonies somewhere and brainwashed and uh, yada, 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 because, um, and then you will wonder about that experience. That's always one of the things that I, I let all of my, you know, people in, in that, you know, attend my attend my lectures and my conferences. Please do this when you leave a conference of this type because you're going to go in there and, you know, and I know people that, you know, that, that come back year, year, year in a year out, and Terry knows them too, because they get to meet all these wonderful people that have like mind. So it, 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 if for no other reason, even separate from grief, which obviously most people go for that, but they go for other things well with the conference as well. Is uh, you know right. always keep that in mind always. Oh, I'm telling you, I I saw at least four psychotherapists that I know because you know I mean I was just like, oh my gosh, there were, there are ministers, there mm-hmm. are there's people from every walk of life, and it's it's very true what you just shared. You know, I was t- t- you know talking to Terry earlier this week or not earlier, it's only Tuesday. I don't know. One of our conversations where I said, you know, there's the conference, and then there's the conference within the conference. You know, the people that are sitting right. next to you, the people that are you know you get partnered with some of the exercises, the people at the you know, at the table where you're eating, you know, there's conversations. I mean, I mean, I met you know, I met two different people that I had heard about for years, you know, and never met them, and they happened to be at my lunch 
table. Really? You know, it's like, you know, right. it's what just is, so what fabulous. What are the odds and, of that happening in Synchronicity? Yes, right, yes. Right, There are no accidents. Right. And, right. and would this be and a I good heard, time to say to the audience that the website for the conference is afterlifeconference.com? Since we've all been yes. raving about it so much, we should probably give the URL, afterlifeconference.com. Right, and if you can't remember Absolutely. that, you go to my webpage and you can click it on and you can find out all the things you need to find out. But that should be yeah. that should be enough right there, afterlifeconference.com. <laughs> Right, and there's absolutely, you know, there's information on all the different speakers, the hotel and travel uh, information. You know, there's there's just, you know, Terry does a great job with these conferences. It's smooth from the time you arrive, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I've worked with conferences over the years, and, you know, but what I can say is this one is impeccable. And yeah, it is there's impeccable. Just, and people have the, no the, idea the, the work that's involved, and she does it all because she's a crazy person, yeah. but, you know. But, I'm a maniac. Just, it's just beyond the anal, you know. It's just, you know. So true. God. But, you know, I want to say something about what you were saying, Suzanne, about when you leave an environment like a conference like this, any kind of conference, like any spiritual gathering, and you go out into the world and you're blown open and you're raw and you're going mm-hmm. home to your your job and your mother-in-law and you're trying to share this exuberance and you can't, Yes. This is one of the reasons why we do our closing ceremony every year with the shamans because yes. mm-hmm. what what the closing ceremony does is it takes all that openness and it kind of closes it back up. It puts you back in a place where you are protected. So when you go out to the world and many people are going to the airport, yes. and if you if you go to that's the airport, the real world. <laughs> that's real world. That's the real world. And your heart is wide open like that. It is so weird to be walking yes. through an airport. Yes. after you've been through three or four days of this stuff. So you have to yeah. protect your consciousness and your heart a little bit. So we make sure that we have this closing ceremony that wraps it all up and ceremoniously, ritually, symbolically, literally puts it in a little bowl of water where we pour the water into the river or whatever we do so that there is a closing because you can't be out in the world and no. be that open. No, absolutely right. not. Unless you're yeah. me and, and used to doing it. So. <laughs> yeah, but you can't either. I mean, Suzanne, when you're in the airport, you don't see everybody, 10 million dead people hovering around. No, 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 no. No, you have to shut it that, down. You know, <laughs> but but, but <laughs> I, I am in that state, and you see me in that state, Terry. It's sort of like, you know, but I'm used to being in all kinds of places in that state because I've done this for so long. But, you know, I have to still, you know, work at it and, and, and make sure that, you know, I don't, you know, I mean, be very careful sometimes who I sit next to and they start asking me questions. And, and I've, I've learned over the years to really avoid it like the plague because I never know why I'm going to be sitting next to someone who's just about going to have a heart attack and they can't sit next to me on the plane. Because <laughs> so I always say be careful what you ask, you know. So I learned that, you know, all these little things, little tidbits one learns along the way. So, you know, Suzanne, you've been doing this work for a long time, and you, um, so you've you've been there before the Internet, you've been there, you know, before the iPads, the iPhones, the technology revolution. Yes, yes. What, okay, and I know your, 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 your work is, you know, between, you know, your TV work that you've done and the radio show that you have on Block Talk as well. Um, What would you say, I mean, I know the technology is is connecting us all in a whole different way, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, there is, 
you know, with all of our different cultures, you know, like I was in San Francisco one time and I thought it was a parade. I was in Chinatown. Oh, no, it was an Asian funeral where they were all wearing white and celebrating and music and horns and all this stuff. You know, and then you go into the Hindu community and there's a funeral pier out in the middle of a field and not too far over there's a wedding and not too far over there's there's a family gathering. And it's like... What what do you think it is that in the United States? I mean, you know, we've had the psychic salons in England. Yep. You know, we've had it's it's more normal in other cultures to talk about death. What yep. is it about the U.S. that is shifting? Obviously, or or we yeah, wouldn't be shifting. having conferences. But what do you what what do you think it is? Do you think it's because we're becoming more multicultural, or? Just what is well, your take I, I think on that the that's fact probably that, yeah. a good thing because you know I mean I, as I've, I've, I've said like you know I've obviously I've done this for a very long time and I've had you know obviously three books which means I went on book tour you know four months for three books um, and obviously I was on every radio television so you could possibly imagine for those book tours and and I, I have to say like you know a lot of time I was very respected but a lot of times I'd walk in, in studios and it would be like you know and this still different now, a little different now, but it'd be like, yeah, sure, you can do this, prove you can do this, and it was like, they, 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 they tried not to be nasty, but if you're in certain radio shows, I mean, it, they, they love, they love to really like, you know, <laughs> you know um, do the make fun of things, but I walked in because, I, I walked in with like, I'm not proving you, this is my thing, you want to play my sandbox with me, that's cool, if you don't, that's okay, I'm, I'm not here to prove it to you, um, and I went to to Mexico about four years ago. Actually, I went twice. I was honored at the you know, the 2012 uh, when they had the, the whole thing with the pyramids. Uh, I was actually the only American medium that was invited there. And I went there, and then right before then or right after, I'm trying to remember what it was, I went on tour there. And I, I, I must have been, I can't even, I must have gone on more radio and television shows and newspaper things all through that, all through Mexico City, more than I did in four months on book tour, if you can possibly imagine it. And there was not a studio, there was not a producer, there was not a co-host. And we're talking Spanish, because I didn't speak Spanish. Alter interpretation did not have the ultimate, ultimate respect for me. Ultimate. It was like off the charts. I mean, I had men sitting across me with the tears rolling down their eyes. Now, what I had learned through this process, which I kind of knew, but I really chance to experience is that, you know, everybody in Mexico, the holiest day of the year is Dia de Morta, which is Day of the Dead. So right. them, in that culture, there's a whole honoring, there's a whole celebration, there's a whole, you, you, you dance, you sing, you take the guitars to the cemetery, you do all this. It's in their culture. So they're in their culture when they lose somebody to physical death, they express themselves. They jump, they sing, they cry. They do what is normal when you lose somebody that you love. That's normal. To me, that's normal. I was in Spain. I was in Spain when, you know, that celebration happened, and it was exactly the same thing. And I was like, what is going on? And my daughter, you know, speaks four languages, and she, of course, explained everything to me. And I thought, you know, we just don't have things like this in the United States. we are, unfortunately... We're, I hate to say this about our country, is that we are very repressed and we don't express ourselves 
at the, it, we don't know what to do with death number one, and we we don't, and, and it's almost like it's like you're going to be frowned upon if you you know if you scream or you cry or whatever it is, and it's like this is this is I have to tell you it's like I mean I, I don't even think about this example to right now, but 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 you remember in the movie. Um, Oh God, I'm, I'm going to lose it for the movie now. But it's the movie that Mary Tyler Moore's in with um, with uh, Sutter and um, what's his name? And anyway, the son dies. Donald Sutherland, ordinary people. Ordinary people, thank you. And their yes, son dies. Yes. And they're sitting around wherever the living room was, and he turns to her and he says, "You're telling me to wear the right kind of socks on the day of my son's." I didn't even know how to put my socks basically on. And it was true. It was all about the image. It was not it was not about that we were grief stricken. It was about the image. Now, I mean I you know, you probably know this, Terry, but you know, do you know that there are people that I know who lose children who go into the market and if somebody sees them they go they, they turn around and go the other way because they're afraid they're gonna catch it? Do you know how intense that is? I know that very well. I mean, I know that I from know having you. a disabled child. That's why I'm saying this to you. Well, well I know it from having a disabled has... child. You know, yeah. when my son was first in a wheelchair, I thought that when we were out in public, people would stare at us. And instead, I found that people walked the other way. People, I, yeah. I fully expected to be stared at. Right. And I found that when I actually tried to make eye contact with people and smile at them and say hello, they wouldn't even look at us. Yeah. So there you we, have it. We, we, we don't deal well, in we're our not culture. that far away from when they, in, in Germany, they used to put the disabled people in villages because they didn't want to look at someone who didn't yeah, have exactly. an arm. Or they, well, they've done, they you know, did that way before Germany. I mean, right. that's like, yeah. you know, yeah, that's but you know way, what I'm that's talking ancient. About. Right. Yeah. But a lot of this has to right. do with the fact is that, you know, first of all, we're a totally obsessed culture about youth and looks. And, and it's like, you know, God forbid somebody should get old and, and, and have wrinkles, and, and, and it's going to happen to everybody. And so people go to these extremes of what they have to do, you know, particularly in Hollywood, to make themselves look, which is impossible that's going to happen. You're going to get old, period. You know, you're going to get old, you're going to lose people in your life, you're going to have loss, you're going to have grief. It's called life. That's what it's called. It's called life. And you embrace all aspects of your life, or you don't, because it's going to happen to you. And it's like, you know, it's like, you know, I, I, I um, lost, you know, one of my best friends, you know, it was, it was several, several years ago. And when I, when I knew that, when I knew she was going to die, I mean, I think I knew before she knew or she was in denial, but it was like I knew I couldn't walk her path. But what I knew I could do was this. I could go and clean her house for her, or I could make arrangements for people to come and sit with her when she was home, or I could make sure that everybody, you know, made sure that her refrigerator was full of food, or I could make somebody, you know, make sure that they picked up her daughter at the airport, or I could make sure that her cats were clean because she was fanatical about her cats. That's what you can do about the people that you can care about. You can't walk their path, but through, through loving somebody, what you can do is you can help them in the process. And I and, and I and I and I want to believe, and, I, and I'm you know I'm hoping that you're both on my page. It's I do believe on some level we are coming back to that. I think it's it's you know I I think with the advent of of the baby boomers, 
being in this place now and the importance of all this and bringing this out in the public and talking more about it or whatever it is, um, I think it is a certain start in, in, in the right direction. I, I, I really do. And, you know, I mean, you call it grassroots, but, you know, we, we, we do have a country where when things do happen, I mean, listen, I live in New York, and, and you can't imagine what New York did for New York 9-11. I don't mean telling you. We're talking 8 million people, and what happened there was, it was quite amazing. So, right. you know, I mean, those are the pluses of, of, of our country. Um, and so we have these. But, it, it, it's, it's, you know, you just have to, like, every time you have an opportunity, and, you know, you just you, you, you take advantage of that opportunity to, to share, you know, quote, unquote, your wisdom on it. Right. You know, with 9-11, I just, you know, Greg Braden, you know, with his seminars, he talks about, like, the satellites yeah. that, that looked down on Earth after 9-11 happened, and there was a total shift yes. globally with the love globally. and the and the connection yes. between all of us. And, you know, it was apparently it's one just, of the most number right. one things that happened that's ever happened in history from, from that energetically. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, yeah. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. So so I just want to mention just a few of the speakers at the conference um, just so you get a feel of, of you know, I mean, you're getting a feel, but I just want to mention this. Okay, so Jeff Black, um, Dr. Jeff Black, I should say, is a psychiatrist, and he's going to be discussing psychiatry meets shamanism, mystical practices for working with loss and trauma. He will also be speaking on mind, body, and spirit medicine. Our guest, Suzanne Northrup, um, which I want to mention her website as well, is S-U-Z-A-N-E-N-O-R. T H R O P dot com. It will be and speaking spell on it, the. Spell it, don't worry, you'll find me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's right. Just look up Susie and Norris or whatever, and the search says, well, yes. Exactly, right. and you'll and, find uh, me. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> right. So she'll be uh, she'll be speaking on the uh, the afterlife, and she'll be work. Uh, I'm sorry, her TV show is called The Afterlife, but she will be teaching a workshop on recognizing, fine tuning, and sharing your intuitive gifts. We have Reverend Olivia Barham, who is the founder of the Sacred Crossings, and she will be um, talking about uh, her workshop will be focusing on planning a funeral, specifically the care and preparation of the body and rituals for burial uh, or cremation, you know, because a lot of people really don't understand all the different options that are available to them. Uh, William Peters, who is uh, the, he directs the Shared Crossing uh, Project, he will be teaching a workshop on the anatomy of a shared death experience. Um, Terry Daniels, our dear found Daniel. I keep saying Daniels tonight. I don't know why, but it's Terry Daniels singular. I this is I don't know. Okay, well at any rate, she is the founder of the Afterlife Conference and all of the wonderful things. She will be presenting grief as a mystical journey. There are so many other different um, different speakers. There's also Thomas John, who um, is is becoming very well known. You know, and he'll be doing gallery style audience readings. There. Um, Donna Visaki, who I have the utmost respect for, will be um, talking on living a multidimensional life in a 3D reality. There's lectures on reincarnation. There's hospice physician Dr. Karen Wyatt, who will be talking about what boomers need to know about end-of-life care. And Suzanne, I am right on with you because, you know, it's interesting. We talked about the sandwich generation for years, you know, the you know the baby boomers who had their parents and their kids. Well, now the millennials are the largest 
group of people mm-hmm. outside yep. of the baby boomers because we all had kids, you know, and right. you know, I turned exactly. 61 this year. And so, you know, and there's really no map. You know, like my kids saw my mother, like, in our household and, you know, dying. But, you know, it's really interesting. My kids didn't share with anyone that their grandmother was in our house dying. So, like, I'll, I'll never forget this. The day that my mom crossed, my um, my daughter started crying at the basketball practice. And I said to her, I said, do not skip your basketball practice unless you want to come home. I mean, but you don't need to because I knew how important basketball was to her at the time and still is. She plays in, plays in Italy, for God's sake. She's like, you know, she's just been a maniac a big deal. since she's yep. been in second grade. And I said, you know, there's, there, there's really no need for you to come home. But, you know, she didn't want – this was her thought. She thought that if she told anyone that her grandmother was dying in our house, that, that they would then feel sorry for her, and she felt uncomfortable with that. She just didn't want to go there. And then my son – my older son, who's now turning 30, you know, he had a basketball game that night, and I had missed so many of their games because, you know, I was there with my mom, and you know how it is at the end. And so I just, I mean, I remember after they took my mom's body and everything, you know, we had Buddhist chants. I mean, you wouldn't believe all the stuff that happened. I mean, my mom called it in, you know. It just just was amazing. And, you know, uh, but I went to my son's basketball game that night, and I remember someone saying, how can you go to your son's basketball game after your mom died? And I'm like, Oh, my mom is still very present with me. Trust me, she probably went to the game with me. You know, I'm like, sure she did. You know, but but people are so, like, in need of this conference. So yes. afterlifeconference.com, Terry, what else do you want to add? Suzanne, final words. We have a, we have five minutes left here before all of a sudden Block Talk is going to click off. So, Go ahead, so, Terry. You do, do your well, thing. Well, I, I mean, just want yeah. to say that something, um, if, if for anybody who's on my Facebook group, I have 12,000 members on my Afterlife Awareness Facebook group, and a good friend of ours, Freddie Rivera, who is a medium, died a couple days ago, very unexpectedly, and so I posted that on the page. And lots and lots of people wrote in their comments, rest in peace, R.I.P., Freddie. Mm. I saw your post And And it brought up for a lot of us, like, what? You know, these are people who understand that consciousness survives physical death, so where is this rest in peace thing coming from? (laughs) So I, I launched another string, and if you guys are on that webpage, go and check it out, with this whole thing about why are we saying, not we, why are you saying rest in peace when you know that people aren't resting what do you think about this where did it come from and it's it's originally a religious thought which was for saved christians meaning that when you die you are protected in the peace of the church which means that it only applies to those people and not to other people mm-hmm. and how can we change the language and use language that suggests the continuation of consciousness, such as fly home safe, many blessings on your journey, whatever. And a lot of people posted and said, well, I still say rest in peace, even though I don't believe it, because I don't want to make the other person uncomfortable. And my response to that was, you can still find a way to express and teach the survival of consciousness without making other people uncomfortable. So instead of saying rest in peace, if you say something like fly home safe, or don't even address the condition of the dead person at all, just address the grief of the survivor. I'm sorry for your loss. My heart goes out to you. I don't know what to say, and it's really okay, because a lot of people don't know what to say. You know, But it's better to not say anything than, than to say something that keeps people 
ignorant, such yeah. as rest in peace. Yes. Yeah. You know, and so I mean, a lot of people peace, say, you know, another angel got their wings today. You know, oh, I, and, I mean, and I, uh-huh. that that That's a sweet one. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, it's just you know, there's there's so many been so many you know shows on TV about you know the angels and you know and the fascination with the angels too. You know, it's like. Okay, but but yeah, I agree that that we're all emissaries. You know, anyone you know that is being drawn to this conference, they're they're wanting to be a part of the the bigger understanding of this whole process of of life and death. And you know, I remember you know on death and dying. I mean, who loves a book like that? I love that book because I thought, oh my gosh, Kubler, you know, Helen, you know, Kubler Ross, you know, like. Oh my gosh, we're almost out. Susie and Northrop, what do you want to say? Closing. <laughs> well, well, the thing is that there is no closing, just like there's no death. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, 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 perfect. perfect it's ending. a continuum. <laughs> Excellent. It is a continuum. So continue, everyone, and let others know about this interview. Get people to the AfterlifeConference.com. You know, let them see what's happening. Enroll your friends. You know, I mean, enroll your family members. And Terry, thank you for the work that you're doing. And Suzanne, thank you for the work that you're doing. And I will see you all before we know it. It's you know thank ten weeks you, away. Darling. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thanks thank you so support. much. All right. All right. Good bye, night, everyone. Bye bye. Okay. Good night. Good night.